Good morning, good morning. Glad you could all make it out this morning, and it's good to see your faces. Um, yeah, thank you for being here. My name is uh, Jason, if you're new with us, and uh, had the privilege of teaching our School of the Word class this morning. Pastor Peter is normally the man behind this pulpit on Sunday mornings, teaching us so faithfully, and um, and so... <laughs> so I'll just be here the rest of the, th- I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to just serve you guys and I'm grateful for Pastor Peter and uh, his friendship and the way that he serves you all so faithfully. So it's just a privilege for me to step in a couple of weeks and uh, teach this class. Um, last Sunday, if, if you remember last Sunday, we, we taught on the, the doctrine of the incarnation. Uh, we basically were looking at what it is. And our hope was that in understanding that, that it, would, it would fuel our adoration and our worship of Christ over this Christmas. So I, I hope that served you. I hope that helped you as you thought about uh, God taking on flesh, coming for us uh, to rescue us, and, and what that meant. Uh, so this week we're, we're going to be talking about what that doctrine uh, means uh, for our lives, and specifically, I've kind of the title is the doctrine of the Arcan- uh, incarnation implied and imitated. So we're going to talk about its implications on our lives. I've only listed a few; there are many, uh, and we're going to talk about how we imitate that in our lives as well. All right, so. Last Sunday was a big answering the question, what is this doctrine of the incarnation? What are we talking about? This week we're talking about uh, the implications of it and how we are to imitate it in our, uh, in our lives. So that's where we're headed this morning, and I want to pray, um, ask the Lord to help us uh, hear from him and to help us focus on uh, his word and what he's calling us to do. He would give us grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these Dear men and women, they, they are yours, Lord. You love them. You have always loved them. Lord, you've called them to yourself. Lord, you've given them new life. I pray that they would be encouraged by your sacrificial, loving activity in their lives. Lord, your redemptive work in and through them. I pray this time... As we consider more this wonderful truth of God becoming man, we consider how we are to imitate it and what its implications are. Lord, you would, you would transform our lives to become more like you than we are now. Or that we would take even more seriously your word, take even more seriously obedience and following you, and experience even more joy in knowing you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week, as I said, we, we, we talked about what the incarnation is. We looked at that question, what is the incarnation? And we defined it as this. It's in your notes. We defined it as Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, one person, forever. He said it's the act of God the Son whereby he took to himself a human nature. And I have this uh, quote again for you by Wayne Grudem just to summarize what we're talking about here. The, the following sentence, he says, has been used to summarize the incarnation. Remaining what he was, 
he became what he was not. So in other words, Jesus remaining what he was, that is fully divine, he became what he was not, that is fully human. He, he did not give up any of his deity when he became a man, but he did take on humanity that was not his before. It's amazing to think about. And we, we spent the remainder of our time just unpacking that definition. Jesus being fully God, fully man, yet one person forever. And just considering it's something to be mined and marveled at for all eternity. Jesus, though he was God, he cared less about his equality with God. He cared less for himself and his own things than he did for us. And, and therefore he gave himself for us. Such are the the wonders of his love that we sing about in this time of year. And so this morning we're looking at the question, how do we imitate this truth in our own lives? Before we do that, and it's just by way of introduction, we want to talk about the implications of the incarnation to our lives. Right? I think it's helpful to not only consider how we are to live out the incarnation, how we are to imitate it, but it's helpful to consider how this impacts our own lives regardless of what we do. What are the implications? So just some thoughts about the incarnation and how it impacts our lives to get our, our, our minds stirring this morning and, and help us think about what this means for us. I've only got five here for us uh, before we talk about the ways we can imitate it, but I'm sure you can come up with more in your own Mind, but I mean, first, one of the implications of the incarnation that you have in yours is that we're we're loved by God. I want you to receive that this morning in a fresh way that God taking on flesh implies that you are loved by God. It's a fact. It's a fact that overrides your feelings this morning, regardless of how you feel, regardless of. Your opinion about what you think God feels about you, the incarnation tells you uh, without a doubt that you are loved by God. The incarnation uniquely reveals, think about it, it uniquely reveals God's love and God's care for his people. It demonstrates, ultimately it demonstrates his desire to be in relationship with his people for his glory for all eternity. The incarnation opens up It opens up. This was impossible prior to Christ's coming. It opens up the possibility of you having an intimate relationship with God. God could not lovingly relate with man without some form of condescension. We could not not come to God. He had to stoop and get low and come to us out of love for us. He so loved the world, Scripture tells us. He, He gave He gave his only son. The incarnation tells the story of God the son coming to rescue his bride, ultimately uniting himself with her for all eternity. So in tender love, Jesus left his heavenly throne and he he went out into darkness to sacrifice himself for you, for me, for his bride to save us so that he might be with you for all eternity. It's telling us implicitly, don't think for a minute As if God was saying that I don't love you. His supernatural intervention and salvation on our behalf is more than enough evidence that we are eternally loved by God. And of course, if you think about this truth, I mean, this has its own implications, right? We could go into the implications of being loved by God. He's he's never leaving you alone. He's always going to care for you. 
He's always going to protect. He's always going to provide. He's going to ensure you make it home safely. He's going to ensure he brings you to himself. He didn't spare his own son. How is he not going to give you everything that you need? God, God's love will never be separated from you. Right? The fact that God took on flesh implies, friends. I mean, uh, he loves you. He, he's out for your good. Right? So it's good news. Uh, number two in the implication I've got for us is that matter matters. Matter matters. Yes, I've had my coffee and I'm tracking with that phraseology. Uh, what I mean by this is that our God, as we know, our God is the only God. And he's the only God, period. But he is the only God, especially as we consider claims of other world religions. He's the only God to whom matter matters. He's the only God to whom flesh matters. The incarnation, we see God taking upon himself a physical body in a permanent and unique way. God took into himself the, the, the physical body. All, all the fullness of God, we read, dwells bodily. It dwells in the flesh in Jesus Christ. The new earth will be very fleshy. Be bodies all over heaven. Matter matters to God. In, in, in the new earth, we will be truly human. We will be body and soul. One's not more important than the other. God does not think the physical more important than the spiritual, and the spiritual more important than the physical. He created body and soul, and through Jesus, he redeemed the soul and the body forever, and that means both are important to him. Jesus Christ did what it took to let body and soul live in integrity. Remember, he didn't just come as God zipped up in, in flesh, right? He, he came, he took on flesh. He became fully human. He, he has a, a human body now. So we have to keep these together. Uh, being spiritual does not mean getting away from the physical. I think sometimes as Christians, we can think this way. Uh, we, we can just stop caring about physical matter as if, yeah, that's not that important. Right? So we stop caring about our bodies. We stop caring about the planet. We stop caring about the poor. We stop caring about how we can make this world a better place. We know by, as we read in, in, in the Bible, that this, this world is a, a ship going down. Make no mistake, all right? We're not trying to make this earth the new earth, okay? Jesus is going to come. He's going to make this earth the new earth, right? But this old earth will go down, but, but this earth matters. What we do here on this planet matters. What we do in our bodies matters. How we do good to other people, right, matters. So we're not just to grow cynical and stop caring about everything, right? Just because we know, oh, this is a fallen world. Everything's going to break. That's true. But we're to do the best that we can for the good of other people to fix it because it matters to God. We're to care for ourselves, care for other people, care for all the matter that is in our lives. We also see that matters because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells in us now and will do so Forever. So the physical is important. When you see Jesus, you see your future, body and soul, right? We're not going to spend eternity just floating around as some disembodied intelligence. On the new earth, we will give hugs. We will eat. We will sing. We will dance. We will drink. 
we will have bodies. So the incarnation, God becoming man, invisible becoming visible, the word made flesh teaches us that matter matters. The salvation of our soul obviously matters. How we take care of ourselves in this planet matters to God as well. We are to be good stewards. Not make, to make that the ultimate, right? We don't make that the ultimate. But we care for it, for the good of other people. We do good to our neighbors. Okay, matter matters. Number three, uh, from the incarnation, I think we can find the implication that racial reconciliation matters. Jesus came as a God-man to reconcile men to God and to one another. Every, every tribe, every ethnicity, right? Every nation, people from every race. He wasn't, he wasn't born for one particular ethnicity or race. He was born for all of mankind. He values all people groups when he came into this world. That was his heart for all people. And Paul says in Ephesians 2, 17 and 19, he came, so Jesus came, What he did is he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access. This is Jew and Gentile and in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you and and everyone who belongs to God, your fellow citizens, your saints, members of the household of God. So Jesus, we see he came and preached peace. Peace between you and God and peace between you and one another. Right? We are called to, we're called to reconciliation with one another. Um, we've been reconciled to God and to one another in Christ. As a result, we're one in Christ. We all have access. We all belong. We're all family members of the household of God. And therefore, our lives should resemble this reality more and more. I'm just seeing how this touches topics of uh, today in cultural areas. I mean, I, I think number four... Because of the incarnation, I think pro-life matters. Pro-life matters, matters to God. John 1.14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. So the incarnation teaches us that God, the divine son, took upon human nature to reveal his father and to reconcile all things. The incarnational ministry of Jesus began not at his birth. It began at conception. See, Jesus was a fetus. He he could have come into this world in any way, but he came, he came as a fetus. That's where he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The fetus, I mean, this is just crazy, uh, was the son of God. Right there in Mary's womb was Emmanuel. God with us. For that reason, the life in the mother's womb matters and should be protected. Indeed, the eternal son of God who created all things and who holds all things together came into this world in a womb. He came into the world to crush Satan, sin and death. And in doing so, he took upon himself a body that was crushable. So the incarnation did not begin with the birth accounts portrayed in the Gospels. The incarnation began the moment the divine son was conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. Jesus' first moments on this earth were not in a manger. They were in his mother. Jesus' body, his muscles and bones formed in the womb of Mary. All right, so the Lord of the universe came into creation, you could say like this, an embryonic form, right? It mattered to him that his life began in the womb. Life begins in the womb that matters to God. 
the incarnation tells us that. Number five, um, I want to point out, is that Jesus' return is near. I think the incarnation implies that his return is near. The first Christmas was history changing, but it wasn't the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. We're still pressing toward that day when Christ will come again. Not as a baby, but as a king. And we know it's near. Here's why I say this. We know it's near in the sense that it's the next thing on the calendar in redemptive prophetic history. The incarnation was prophesied. The incarnation fulfilled. The crucifixion prophesied. Crucifixion fulfilled. Resurrection prophesied. Resurrection fulfilled. Ascension prophesied. Ascension fulfilled. His return prophesied. It's coming. It's the next thing on the calendar. That's what we mean by it's near. He's not waiting on another redemptive event to take place. That is the next thing on the calendar. He's at the door. And he's near. His return is near just as he promised. He, He came as a baby as he promised. And he will come as a king as he promised. It means no matter what difficulties you may face in life today, the best is yet to come. We can have hope. He's coming back for us. So those are just a few implications I highlight just to get us even thinking. I, mean, I want us to think deeply about this, what this means for our lives here and now. I'm sure we could probably think of more if we had time. I mean, just some that come off the top of my head. Um, sin is a serious offense. Sin is a serious offense. God took on flesh to deal with it. God came into this world to rescue us from it. I think another implication, children need both a father and a mother. We see that in Christ. I think another implication is that um, God's timing is perfect. It's perfect. We also see that he works in unexpected ways. Think about God working in your life. See from the incarnation that God works in unexpected ways. God works through nobodies. Right? We could keep going. These are just some implications uh, of the incarnation that are just wonderful to think about. And wonderful to, to consider and to teach us about who God is. All right? So I encourage you to do that. Um, I encourage you to think deeply about this and, and what it means for your life and what it means about who God is and how we're to respond to him. I want to spend the next segment of our time together. We're just going to consider now how the incarnation is to be imitated. All right, because listen, it is explicit in scripture that you and I are commanded to imitate the incarnation. Absolutely explicit. And we'll see that in our text. So what does that look like? How are we to imitate the incarnation? Jesus is first and foremost our redeemer, but he's also our example in life, right? We are to follow his life as a model for our own lives. The, the key passage I want us to look at is Philippians 2, 5, and 8, and I've got it in your notes there. All right, so we read... Have this mind, we've been looking at this on Sunday mornings, have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You guys see the incarnation in that text? Form of God, form of man, right? Jesus Christ, one person, takes on flesh. And it's interesting how Paul explicitly commands us to imitate this reality. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have the, have the same mind in us that was in Christ Jesus. In other words, imitate, imitate the incarnation. Live your life the way Jesus lived his in, in, in becoming a man. That's what we want to consider this morning. And I just want to say up front, this doesn't mean that you are to go back in a womb and be born in a manger. Uh, this doesn't mean, and even more, more seriously, this doesn't mean that we are to try to atone for our own sin. We're not called to a sacrificial death on the cross where we atone for the sins of mankind. These privileges belong to Jesus alone. It's, it's possible only by Jesus, and he completed that work for us. But in this text, we do see to some degree we are to imitate him and how we are to do that. And so the big idea, just as before we look at these ways that we do this, is that the imitating the incarnation transforms our lives to be more like Jesus. That's the goal here. Uh, the goal last Sunday was that we would worship him in adoration. This Sunday, as we, as we imitate the incarnation, that we would become more like him in our lives. All right, so how do we do this? What's this look like? What does imitating the incarnation look like in this life? Number one, it looks like sacrificial love. Get that from verse six. Sacrificial love. Jesus was God, but he did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He gave himself. In other words, Jesus so loved us, he sacrificially gave up what was precious to him so he could lovingly give himself fully to us because he cared more about us. The incarnation gives us a whole, it actually gives us a whole new dynamic for loving people if you think about it, right? Because we, you know what this is teaching us about? This text, what we, what we learn in this text is, is teaching us about the Trinity. And in it, we're getting a little bitty picture of God's triune love. Because God is triune, you can say that God is love. Right? God, God think about it, God could not be love if God was not triune. Who would he love? And, and not only that, but I mean... He, Creation would be a result of him needing something to love. He would have a love need. So 
that, that's not the case. He didn't create us because he just needed somebody to love him. He has been love for all eternity. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. Father loves the Spirit. Spirit, it, it, it's love. And creation is an overflow of that love to us. God is triune. Because God is triune, love and relationship is eternally inherent within him. He's always been love, right? We see that explicitly in, in John 17, 24, where Jesus says, Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. There was love, perfect love. Still, perfect love within the Godhead. And because God is triune, because he is love, he's the very opposite of greedy. He's the very opposite of selfish, grabbing, right? He's, he's giving. God did, not, God did not create this world. Jesus did not come into this world to get. Jesus came into this world to give. He, has, he's, he is forever loved. By the Father. He came to give that love. Though he was in the form of God, he took on flesh to lovingly sacrifice and give himself. The eternally beloved Son sacrificially comes to us to share with us the very love that the Father has always lavished on him. He comes to share with us and bring us into the life that is his, that we might be brought before the Most High, not just as forgiven sinners, but as dearly beloved children. He, he comes to lovingly bring us into the family. So we imitate the incarnation when we give ourselves fully and sacrificially in love to others. When we, when we don't love other people to get, Okay, we imitate the incarnation when we love other people just to give love, to do good, to give blessing and life and care, not just to what they can give me in return. That's why John, uh, Jesus teaches us in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. He, he loved us in a sacrificial, giving way of himself. So in other words, we, we are to, to lay down our lives our, and our privileges for one another. We're to love our brothers and sisters across all racial and ethnic lines. We're to love the weakest and the oldest and the youngest, the love we were praying this morning about the younger generations. I mean, that, that is to be an outpouring of love in our hearts for them and for all people, right? We're to love the disabled. We're to, we're to love the lonely. We're to love the unlovable. We're to love our enemies. Those who've offended us. Think about it. Jesus came into this world. When he came into this world, we, we read he came for the unrighteous. Right? The righteous for the unrighteous. The, the, offend, the offended for the offenders. And he came in love and he gave himself for those who have offended and broken God's law. So when we, we sacrificially love one another, when we selflessly do good to others, we, we imitate the incarnation. Okay? 
Number two, we also see that when we serve, we imitate the incarnation. Service. Jesus took on the form of a servant. He didn't just become human. He became a servant. So when we serve others, we imitate the incarnation. We, we don't serve to be good enough for God. We don't serve to get something from God. We don't serve to pay him back for saving us. We don't serve to impress others. We don't serve because we think God needs us to serve. We serve because Jesus first served us. He took on the form of a servant. He came to serve. If you think about it, service makes absolutely no sense if you don't believe in God. You're just cutting the legs out from under you. I mean, if you subscribe to some Darwinistic theory of evolution and the way that the world came about, then when you serve others, when you put others' needs in front of your own, I mean, you're just, <laughs> you're undermining what you believe. If it's survival of the fittest, why you go serve other people? But it's not. There is a God. And he took on flesh. And he came to serve. And he says, this is the path to greatness. You make others the object of your loving, sacrificial service. Right? We, don't, we don't reach for power. We don't, we don't reach for gain. We don't walk into rooms and say, hey, how can, how can these people serve me? How can this person serve me? Right? We, we, we come and we look. Well, God, how can I serve this morning? How can I put others' needs in front of my own? Because Jesus did not come to be served, but has lovingly and sacrificially served those who least deserved to be served. As servants of Christ, we are called to do the same. We must serve the king and represent his kingdom and we do that through loving service towards others. We should be the kind of people, as we see in this text, who gladly go low. Looks, Jesus, like his arm was not twisted. You know, there wasn't like a, like a conference in the Godhead saying, all right, you're going to go. No, I don't want to, Father. No, come here. I'll make you. No, it wasn't that. He, he gladly went low. Out of love, he came to love. And go low for the good of other people. When we see that when he's washing the disciples' feet, don't we? I mean, that is a task in those days you did not want to find yourself doing. It was the lowest of the low. Some nasty stuff. Um, washing the disciples' feet. Who is this man? You know, I mean, his disciples are freaking out. Like, don't do that. that you don't do that. Look, I, okay, I get it. You, you serve people, but not that. And he says, as I wash your feet, you, you do to others. You wash one another's. Right? Jesus has given us a picture of greatness. And he's showing us what service looks like. It's, it's going low for the good of other people. That's what we see in the incarnation. We see, I mean, think about it. Look how much Jesus gave up. Did not count equality with God a thing to be great. Look what he left where he came. Look how much he gave up. And then look how many people 
he blessed. Look how many people he served. The same should be true of us. We, we should be willing to give up as much as possible to serve as many people as possible. When we do so, we, we imitate the incarnation, just giving up as much as possible to serve as many people as possible. This is what we see in our God. Next, when we deny ourselves, we imitate the incarnation. Self-denial. 8a in your text says Jesus humbled himself. He did not think more highly of himself. He did not think less of himself. He just thought of himself less. He denied himself. The incarnation means that we seek opportunities to deny ourselves. It's not a particularly hot topic, a popular topic in our culture, the denial of self. But we see from Christ, it's the starting point for thinking like him and acting like him. When Jesus became incarnate, he voluntarily denied himself the privileges of being God in order to be mocked and killed. He humbled himself. He was totally unselfish. And in turn, Paul says, we're to have the same mind. We we do nothing from selfish ambition. Godly ambition is wonderful. Aim for the stars, if you will. Uh, Go for it, for the glory of God. But for the glory of self, as we learned from you know, last Sunday in Pastor Keith's message, that's something we're not made for, right? We're made to glorify God and not self, right? So we, we don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, we count others more significant than ourselves. So if we would follow Christ, we must, every one of us, not in pride, but in humility, deny ourselves, seek others good think about it the readiness of jesus to efface himself to the lowest pit of debasement when he did not need to should bring us to our knees in humble self-denial so let us deny ourselves for the good of other people and count others more significant than ourselves and do nothing from Selfish ambition or conceit, right? So you think about to, to imitate the incarnation is to unselfish ourselves. It's to, to, think, to think about ourselves less. I'm not talking about an inflated ego or a deflated ego, right? The inflated is you think really highly of yourself. The deflated is you think really low of yourself. Both are a form of pride, right? I'm talking about humility. I'm talking about not thinking more of yourself, or less of yourself, I'm about, as C.S. Lewis says, thinking of yourself less. How enjoyable would that be? <laughs> I don't know about you, but boy, anytime I'm free from me, that's a good place to be. Just have the freedom to love other people and care for other people, regardless of me, in spite of me. So Jesus denied himself freely. He He did it willingly. He did it joyfully. We're to do the same. All right? So we have have sacrificial love. We have 
service. We have self-denial, all in this incarnation. All, we see this, we are to imitate it in these way, ways. And, and lastly, we have total surrender. We have surrender. We imitate the incarnation when we surrender our lives to God. All right? We see that in the text in verse 8b. Jesus was obedient. Sometimes we pass by that and we just go to the point of death, even death on the cross. But can we stop there real quick? Because this is good news for you. Jesus was obedient for you, for me. Because we're not obedient. In fact, I mean, we're pretty terrible at this. So Jesus was obedient. He lived a perfect life, a righteous life. He fulfilled the law's requirements for righteousness on my behalf and on your behalf. He was obedient. And then we see not only what's important about his person and work, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, right? The cross is where, the cross is where he receives the full penalty for our sins, for our disobedience. And, and he gives us his obedient life in exchange when we believe in him. But Jesus was obedient to the Father's will. So before we talk about example, just, just, just thank God for your Redeemer. He was obedient for you. Like we're, we're looking at ways we're to imitate. imitate. Imitate means doing, right? I'm giving you things to do here. If you hadn't, I'm sure you know that. I'm, I'm telling you things to do. But can you just stop and, and celebrate in your heart what's been done for you? We're doing because of what's been done. We're doing because Jesus was obedient for us. We're doing because he was obedient for us to the point of death on the cross, He's our king and he came for us, right? So, however, we we have an example to follow, right? And that example is an example of obedience. Obedience, I mean, as much as you possibly can. Obey. The incarnation compels compels us toward total obedience. Obedience. It's it's great news that Jesus is God. That's what we learned last week, right? He's fully God. That's great news. You know what that means? He really is coming back, as we talked about. Your future is very, very bright. Uh, You have an eternity with him. And he will come through. Nothing can stop him from fulfilling his promises. But it's also very sobering news that Jesus is God. Because if Jesus is God, then everything in our lives should revolve around him. We, we, we owe him total and complete allegiance, total surrender. Right? We're, we're not our own if Jesus is God. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. Right? We, we belong totally in body and soul to him. He's our master. He's our king. He's our Lord. We belong to Christ. Therefore, therefore obedience just makes total sense. We, we must live for him. His good commands and his wisdom must rule our actions. 
Our reason nor our will should inform our plans and actions. We surrender to his will and his reason and gladly follow his commands. So obedience. When you obey, friend, uh, it's a beautiful thing. It it tells the world that God is real. It tells the world that God is far more worthy of loving than anything else. And it confirms in, in you as well that God is at work in your life. Obedience, obedience matters. And as we see here, it, it imitates the incarnation. All right, so here we have surrender. We have self-denial. We have service. We have sacrificial love. All bound up in the incarnation. All bound up in God. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is a sacrificial, loving God. He's a serving God. He's a self-denying God for the good of other people. Right? He's a, he's a God that's totally surrendered his life for the good of us and for the glory of God. Because of this, we get the privilege to imitate him now in our own lives. And we're going to do this to varying degrees of success for each of us. But nonetheless, we're called to press on towards this, right? Celebrating the good news that he was obedient on our behalf and he took the penalty on our behalf and that we belong to him and that we are part of the family. We're loved by God. Celebrating that all along the way, imitating the incarnation. I think as we do that, just what a beauty. I mean, could you imagine like the environment this creates among relationships? Like among people, among church, just kind of the air that this, you know, the aroma in the room, what this, what this looks like, what this feels like to be a part of, right? We got to be intentional, be intentional in doing this and you will create a beautiful community within family, within the, your faith family here at Lakeview, sacrificially loving and serving and self-denying, right? And surrendering to God. It's a beautiful thing. You're putting others' needs in front of your own. You're not doing anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. It's no manipulation. It's just total, I'm just here to serve, love you, care for you, put you first, humble myself, seek godly ambition, glorify him. All right, I hope this has helped you just get a fuller picture of the doctrine of the incarnation um, and just what it is, what it means. I, I am, I'm just putting like the iceberg out there on uh, the tip of the iceberg out there honestly guys I, th- there's so much here it, it, it truly is uh the most profound miracle as Wayne Grudem says in, in all the bible God taking on flesh and it has it has beautiful implications for our lives and we're called to imitate it as God's people all right so let me pray for us and we'll close father thank you for sending your son he is our only hope Lord Jesus, we we just confess to you, you are our only hope in this life and the next. And so we cling to you for life, for joy, for happiness. We cling to you for eternal life. We look to you for good. We trust you no matter what's happening now. You are at work in our lives and doing things for good. We know that because, Father, you sent the Son And you didn't spare him, but you gave him up. And so we trust you 
to do good to us. If we belong to you, you will care for your people. You will bring us to you. Lord, give us grace now. Lord, help us. Help me to imitate this wonderful truth, to imitate the Lord Jesus, to follow him as my example in sacrificial love and service and and self-denial and surrender. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much. Because I told Peter that I would say this and I was about to totally forget. (laughs) Oh, we think we can do more than we really can. All right. Um, So next Sunday, January 3rd, there is no school of the word. And then on Sunday, January the 10th, we will pick back up with a new series. That is to be announced. All right. So next Sunday, no school of the word. Uh, Prayer will be at 845. So prayer will be at the regular time that School of the Word begins. All right?